back to Studio Wesley Annex, the audiovisual podcast where we break down the lectionary text of the week. I'm your host, Sam Styles Williams, and I'm joined today by a full, I think for the first time, a full intern podcast, uh, new to Studio Wesley. So let's see, let's see how much we mess this one up. All right, Tess, how are we doing? I'm good. I don't know why my video just glitched out. That was weird. Um, but I'm good. It's been a busy but productive day, so we'll take it. This has been a day of constant motion and constantly doing things. Yeah. How are we feeling today? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling energized because I need that energy tonight because I'm going to have to write a three-page essay tonight. So, Oh, yeah. but have you started the three-page essay or is this like... No, not at all. I work best under pressure. Okay. Okay. No. I don't work best under pressure, but <laughs> I applaud you for that. Appreciate it. All right. Now, Tess, do you want to you wanna start us off in prayer today? I can. Um, Dear Lord, thank you for bringing all three of us here um, together. I hope that you open our hearts and our minds to hear the words that we all share with each other um, and to maybe even offer us some new perspectives on these texts that we're reading. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have such a nice prayer style. I haven't heard an opening prayer from Tess in a while. Usually my <laughs> prayers are just like, words, words are good and we like the Bible. Um, before, we start today, before we start today, today is the first episode. I did not mean to break you <laughs> I I told Michael when I became host, I was like, I don't have to pray anymore. I don't have to find new ways to say thank you for the words. Let's go. Um, anyways, please keep this in because this is funny. Um, today is the first uh, week of our Lenten journey um, where we're going to be stripping ourselves away and taking getting rid of some things that are excess so that we can focus on those 40 days before Jesus did his whole Easter thing. Um, no spoilers yet, guys. We'll get there. We'll get there in the next couple of weeks. We're going to start our Lenten journey this week by talking about our New Testament text. Elliot, are you ready? I am. So this text, well, first of all, this is 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. So this is a fairly straightforward like text. It's just talking about how Christ suffered for our sins once and for all. Um, he never sinned. He died for sinners. Um, but my favorite part about this is if you skip to the end, it says, now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place honor next to God in all the angels and authorities and in power except his authority. That's kind of like almost, I mean, it's not foreshadowing because it had been said, but it also says more about that in Revelations. But I liked how it started with Christ suffered for our sins. You know, he died for our sins all the things that he did here on earth and then in heaven. And then it goes on to say that Christ is going to be, has gone up to heaven and is seated at the place of honor next to God. So the contrast in those two things are really interesting and just, it's a pretty straightforward text. And I'm pretty sure we'll find out later when we read our other texts, the deeper meaning of this text, but I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on it. Yeah. I really like um, what you said, Elliot, about kind of the like, beginning to end looking at how um even over just like four or five verses like all that happened um I also looking at the verse more like in the middle part um I love the distinction when it's talking about um baptism but I love the distinction that it goes not the removal of dirt from the body but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God um yeah I just I really like the way this was written. Like it talked about the ark and um, 
how water saved them and then water also means this but it doesn't mean this in the sense that you think it does it actually means this so yeah short text kind of straightforward um but i really like all that it says uh both of you guys commented on what i was going to talk about which is i appreciate that this text as a like literary tool talks about both like the foreshadowing like elliot said of the story that has already been talked about but also will be talked about again because in that like cyclical nature of the bible but also that's what you're talking about of like the different ways that like the different metaphors that we use in the bible for water and for uh later our last week's text we talked about the idea of the tent and how all these different kind of symbols mean different things depending on what you're talking about. And I love the continuation of this story, it feels like. Because when you talk about the foreshadowing of this, we, we all know the story, we all know what comes to pass. But when you actually start diving deep into the text, you realize how much of it is the same and how much of it is set up in this one continuous narrative. Um, so it's an interesting way to like sit and look at text when you haven't done it before. And that brings us into my text, where I fully did that, guys. This is a text that I fully thought I knew. I got the assignment. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is Jesus' baptism. Um, John takes him into the river and baptizes him. And the, he the heavens part, the spirit comes down like a dove and says, that's my son who is beloved. I don't even need my notes because we all know this one. And then Jesus goes off into the woods for 40 days. And I got this text. and was like, yeah, I know this one. I can say this off of memory. This is something we hear every year at church. But then I read it and realized my my theme for today's text in this is how much Sam didn't know, not just about the Bible, just about life. Um, the first one, which is the life part, um, I was reading a commentary that talked about putting this in this story in perfect tense. Uh, it talks about the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. Uh, perfect tense talking about something that has already or being completed. Um, and so like we've already set the stage for this to come. I didn't know perfect tense was a thing. I had to ask somebody else and look it up. Um, and it really like goes to show, as silly as an example that is, it goes to show you what happens when you actually start looking at these texts and how much we as people who have grown up in the church and people who are young and in faith have kind of taken for granted when you look at this. Um, like my other example, John the Baptist, there is just a quick, a quick moment, verse 14, um, where it says, now John, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaimed the good news of God. And we, we really brush over that, that John was arrested. And maybe I, I'm not going to claim that every other young person on this podcast knew that. Um, I didn't. I'll speak for myself. I phoned a pastor. I called my mom and our, uh, one of the other pastors who was in the room and was like, hey, John was arrested, question mark. Um, and I learned about the story of John being arrested. He was arrested for uh, words that he used against the king and against talk, talking out against the state. And King Herod's wife wanted him dead. So they arrested him and they executed him for things he had said, which there's an analogy there about this, this moment, this person who brought about the catalyst of Lent, who brought out the catalyst, the rest of Jesus's story, John, who baptized him, being the one who is executed for his words against the state. I feel like there's something we could talk about there. So I just wanted to point that out before I pass it off. But what I really wanted to talk about with this text is really what I was reading about in the commentary. When you read this text for the first time, it very much feels like Eliot's very bare bones text. 
it is point by point. Jesus gets baptized. Holy Spirit comes down. Jesus runs into the woods. Jesus comes back. And when I first read it, I didn't like how bare bones it was. I felt like it was missing something. I felt like it didn't have the gravitas that these stories usually do. But the text that I read, the commentary, pointed out the idea of this being a literary choice and the idea that this is supposed to reflect our Lenten journey. It's stripping away all the extraneous detail except what's happening to Jesus. That's why John is glanced over. That's why the 40 days are kind of brought up in two sentences because we're stripping away all the extraneous details that don't have to do with Jesus. And that is kind of what I want to get to with this Lenten conversation is how the point of the next 40 days is for us to start getting rid of things that we don't need that aren't benefiting our soul and that aren't strengthening the relationship we have with Christ. So that was a lot of, it was a long winded, lots of random points, but it's a, it's a weird text for that. It's short until you really look at it and then it's long. So I'd love to hear what you guys think about that. Yeah, I think just going back and also looking at the verse that I just had as well, uh, Christ suffered for our sins once and for all time. And then going into Mark and reading this, it's almost like a little subsection of this story. And I know it sounds like a, like, you know, a church, a Bible story, like, you know, those basic Bible stories that you read, like when you're like four years old, right? But like when you read more and also I've noticed the more you grow up and go through life circumstances, the more these types of texts start to like actually hit you harder, at least for me, because I know that um, it talks about walking, you know, these, the fishermen, Andrew, what was it say? Andrew and Simon, they essentially walked with God. Right. And like, we can think of all the different meanings of walking with God, you know, what does that mean? But it's all about, like, I look at this now, I'm like, imagine what literally, like, not like spiritually, I mean, it is spiritually, but think about like literally walking with God, like, just like what that would feel like. And then imagining that happening in life is like the bigger meaning that I got out of this text. Um, because walking with God has always been something significant in my life. And that's just pointed it out in this text for me. <laughs> And I want to mention, like, with that part, I think that ties really, really closely into the point of this story in Mark. Because if you think about this as the catalyst of Lent, uh, because it directly sets it up, I would argue that this is the moment where, visibly, no matter, you can always argue that they are close and that they are walking together because of the Trinity. But this is the point where we, the audience, gets to see Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit at their closest. I just dropped my pen. But it's still a good point, even if I throw my pen during it. Like this, the idea of heaven breaking down and coming down and landing on Jesus and claiming him as a beloved child of God and as his son is the closest that we have ever seen the Trinity together. And so like what you're saying of that, what does it mean to literally walk with God? I feel like this text shows that. And then to see what we are called to do after that, we are called to walk with God and grow from that, but then take it and realize and repent and change and realize how much of like earthly possessions control us into our Latin journey. Um, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, Elliot. I, um, it's so funny that Elliot said the thing about like, oh, this is totally one of those stories you hear when you're like four years old. Because um, I think that's true. But I also think it's really true, at least for me, that like Lent was always just kind of this thing where you like you give up drinking soda for a month or you delete Instagram for a month. Like it didn't have a ton of significance behind it, I feel like growing up. Um, 
And so relating it back to this passage, I think is so important because like you were saying, Sam, like it's so easy to see the correlation and like how, what Lent has become in a human sense, like how that aligns with this text um, from like being sent out and being um, like all the temptations, like, yes, that clearly is there, but also um, the second half of verse 13, when it says he was with the wild animals and angels attended him, like he wasn't out there alone. Like there were other people or not people, but like there were other things around him. There were the animals, there were also angels watching over him. So it's like, even during this season, you're not like just off on your own. Like there's still support there, um, even as you're going through all of these temptations and all these things. So yeah, reading this and especially like diving deeper into it because there's not on the surface, it seems like there's not a lot there. Um, diving into it was really interesting. And I think it just puts Lent into a totally different perspective in the like human sense. So I, I love what you're talking about with Lent changing as you get older, when you start realizing it. Um, and I want to ask, cause we have, we have time on this podcast cause we went so quickly through the first one that like, I want to talk to you guys about Lent and see like where we're all at with it. Because I remember like what you're talking about of being a kid in the church going through Lent. I remember a year where I was like, I'm going to give up YouTube. And then about a week in, I was like, I'm actually only going to give up YouTube on the week because I like YouTube. And then I was like, well, Thursdays don't count because that's like a holy day. And I was just making up reasonings of why I should use YouTube. Um, and I feel like taking Lent seriously is an interesting practice. So I just wanted to pose the question, what kind of things are you feeling about Lent this season? Um, do you guys have anything in mind that you want to give up? Or what are, what's the sentiment that you guys are feeling? this year in particular with Lent? I think um, for me, at least I know this Lent, it's less of me taking something away and me of doing something more. Like I need to read my Bible more. Like I'm not good at that at all. So like, I'm just going to focus on doing that more. I think more or less, it depends on what you're adding or taking away, but I feel like both of those things are important, but I just need to read the Bible more. So that's what I'm going to try to do more of. I I think as I've gotten older, um, I see a lot of parallels between like Lent and also New Year's resolutions, especially in the sense of like you make these big, like grand ideas of, oh, I'm going to do this or I'm going to give up that. And then a lot of the time they don't end up working out if they're super large. Um, so I try to be just more... I like them in the sense of like, I like being reminded to be more intentional with my time and my actions and things like that. Um, so I think it's sort of like Elliot was saying, like there's no objective thing that I have in mind. I think it's more of just like being more intentional with my time. How can I um, cut out some of these areas where I'm just like wasting time and sitting on my phone in the morning and getting distracted every five sentences when I'm trying to read my textbook. So just being more intentional, I think is kind of where my head is at. The correlation between like how you see New Year's resolutions and how you treat Lent is a very real thing. Cause I, over the last couple of years, my New Year's resolutions have changed just like my Lenten beliefs have changed. Um, Cause my New Year's resolution for this year is not a, a tangible thing. It's to worry less about things that don't matter and worry more about things that do. And that's also what I'm kind of trying to give up for Lent is that I'm someone who like lives 
in my head a lot and lives in in the future of what's going to happen and so i'm trying to like give up my worries about the future and live in the moment which is such an abstract concept which means that i can't succeed or fail so makes it a little bit easier but it is a good like what tess was saying a good intentionality a good reminder of it and with that, we are going to transition to our break. So listeners, I hope that you can take a moment during this break um, and think about what you're going to do over your life journey. And we will see you guys later. And we're back. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the break. We certainly did. We sat here talking about the loud cars that populate our respective campuses and homes. Um, And isn't that just a metaphor for life about the loud distractions that want to ruin our beautiful, quiet moment where we're having a good conversation. And on that note, let's get back to our good conversation. Tess, are you ready? I am ready. Take it away. So this week I had Psalms 25 verses 1 through 10. Um, I really liked this passage just in general. Um, I think it's a really good almost like, oh gosh, what's the word? Affirmation. Like it felt very affirmationally to me um, as something you would like just recite or continue to come back to. Um, but there were definitely a couple of things that I wanted to point out and that really stuck with me from this. Um, the first being, this is something that we talk about at my campus ministry a lot, especially with how it relates to prayer and like, what, what is prayer? Um, and that's like, how do you ask for things? And like, what do you ask for? Um, so I really like the verbiage in this Psalm because it's not like, give me this. It's not um, like, give me peace, give me hope, give me um, success. But instead it's show me your ways, teach me your paths, guide me in your truth. Um, Verse eight, it goes, he instructs. Verse nine, he guides. So it's all of these, like, I think it comes back to the image we were talking about earlier of like God walking alongside you instead of maybe just like, him pulling you forward instead he's like there with you um and i think one of the things that really resonates with me about this and just like the topic in general is like giving us the autonomy to like we are capable of making our own decisions but it's like the process through which we make decisions and decide how to live out our life and how we act and behave um so i really i think that's displayed in this text and um, through like the verbs, the active verbs that the author used. Um, and then the other thing that I, that kind of caught my eye as I was reading this, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it, um, is the end of verse three. So verse three says, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. And so I was reading this and a lot of the rest of this passage is like so good and hopeful and all these things. And it's like, shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. And it caught my attention of like, wow, this is a little like, it's not the right word, but like petty and aggressive. It felt a little bit. I was like, oh, this is kind of scary. I was like, all right, that's 
that's a statement. So that's something just, um, obviously I'd love to hear your thoughts on the verse in general, but that was one thing that I was like, Oh, I'm curious to see if other people were like as maybe caught off guard by that in the middle of this text as I was. So. I, I love your interpretation. I want to start with that, that question, that verse three, um, and my reading of it, and this is so, such a personalized Sam Styles Williams reading, is I love the the petty nature of this text of like, you don't have to worry about those haters because like, they'll, they're going to get it. You don't have to they'll worry about what, it at they'll all. They'll get what's coming to them. Exactly. Like, don't don't spend energy on that. I, I got that. I'll, I'll figure them out. I love that. I love taking away my anxiety because I don't have to do anything. God will do it later. Um but that kind of goes into my next point of like just generally what you were talking about with this text as an affirmation of free will but it kind of feels and this is a very poli-sci political philosophy answer but like it kind of feels like that kind of social contracty thing of like i have free will but sometimes the best use of my free will is to listen to you who knows better than i do um and to let myself listen to your steps and where I should go and let myself relinquish a little bit because none of us know the answer. Um, and I, I really like that. I think, especially for like our generation, the idea of like, no, 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 I got this. I, I can do it. Um, I was talking with a professor the other day who was talking about why does, why does Gen Z's need so much structure and get so anxious without it? And like my answer was during the most formative years, we lost all structure because of COVID. Um, and so now the idea of having affirmations in the Bible that are like, no, 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 here are the steps. We'll walk together on this. Kind of sounds nice. I'm okay with that. I like a teacher who does that. I like love the idea of it being a social contract. I don't know why I've never thought of that before because that's exactly what it is. Um, yeah, I love that. I am never going to be able to un like relate that to my interpretation now. Sam will always politicize the Bible verse. That's just my job on this podcast. Y'all really pointed out like all the main stuff. Uh, so the one thing that did point out to me though, is the part where I'll just read it. Show me the right path. O Lord point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me for you are the God who saves me. I really like that verse. I don't know. Like when I'm reading stuff, no matter what's going on in my life. And I, I read, show me the right path oh lord like that's such a beautiful prayer for me an anxious person about the future right like show me the path like guide me down the right path like that's a go-to prayer for me because like if i'm being guided down the right path then i then i'm good you know even if it's just a mental thing but i really like the that verse i like verses like that in the bible um and i like the part where it says lead me by your truth and teach me so like we don't know it all like god will teach us whatever that means. So that's what I kind of got from it. Before we move on, I just want to applaud. I'm going to catch you so off guard here. I'm so sorry. Uh, I just want to like applaud Elliot, not just in like podcast, but just in our time together, like in our cohort as interns, the like you ha do have such like a trust in things being okay and things working out. And like the ability to have that is such a rare gift. I feel like, especially in our generation. So I want to like, the like, that is something that I think all of us strive for is to have that kind of like 
relinquish that we were just talking about. Me and Tess are looking at this like a foreign concept of like, you can let go and trust. Um, but I just like applaud the fact that that's something you like are generally able to do. It, it's, it's very commendable. Oh, I appreciate it, but it's not all me. You know, God has a lot of say in that as well. With that, we are going to transition into our last text of the day. We're going all the way back to the beginning. We're going to Genesis 9. Um, and I wanted to try out a new format today. We've done some, some blind text readings before where we're all commenting on it. But I wanted to be as conversational as possible. So we're all going to be here for the whole thing today. So Genesis 9, we are right after Noah's flood. Um, the earth has just been wiped out, basically, and restarted. God hit refresh with a big a big amount of water, and here we are. Um, and this is the covenant that God makes with us. It's, it's the rainbow analogy. God puts a rainbow in the sky to tell Noah and to tell his people that he will never destroy the earth or the earth's creatures again through water. And this covenant will not be broken for the rest of the story of the Bible. Um, and I always love this text as sort of a transition between Old Testament and New Testament God. Obviously, this is very early in the Old Testament, so we got a lot more Old Testament to hear. But I always appreciated the idea of this story being God looking at what he did and maybe saying, okay, let's not do that again. And like, when we read the Bible, we all think about that Old Testament, like angry fire and brimstone, I'm going to destroy the earth, God. Uh, you are going to repent before me and be smoted, be smited. I don't know how to say it. Um, but I like this text as an example of that kind of mindset changing, That whether that is actually God's mindset changing or whether that is us humans who are writing this text realizing that we may have misinterpreted. Um, and so with that, I wanted to open up with you guys. I wanted to open up with a question. Do you think that God is regretting what he did? Uh, there is, there's a famous musical called Children of Eden. Very, very good uh, musical that starts from the beginning of Genesis and goes up until this point. Um, and God's covenant is kind of shown in that musical to be a very like repentful moment. Like his heart is kind of broken at what he's done to his people. And so every time I read this, I like talking about it with people. Do you think... God messed up. I know that's a crazy thing to say, but do you think God looked at what he did and messed up and tried to reverse it? I honestly don't know. I like, I hate to answer your question with a question, but just like, I, I don't really know. I think if you're looking at like the way that it's literally written, I don't see any sort of like, you know, it's, I feel like it's very just, God said this, I establish my covenant, never again will this happen. Like it, I don't see any reflection like in the words themselves, I feel like. So it does feel very just like concrete. Um, but the thing that stuck out to me when I was first reading this, and maybe this is kind of where that um, suspicion almost comes in is like maybe it's just my tired Wednesday afternoon brain um but reading this I was like did I just read the same thing over and over again because it feels so repetitive of like this is what happened here's our here's my covenant that I established with you with all living things um this will never happen again and then the next paragraph is literally again this is the covenant you and all living things 
never again will I flood the earth. And like, it just feels like it repeats several times. So I was reading it like, is like, am I just not following the words or what's going on? And so your question, Sam kind of brought that back up is like, maybe a, it feels like what would happen in a conversation where someone's trying to be really, um, like firm and confident in their actions, but actually they're like internally freaking out, you know, like that kind of um, like real life feeling. I see that a little bit in this text. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, but I, I do think it's really interesting to like look at it from that perspective. It's an interesting point to bring up, and it's an interesting, like, there is no answer that we can find, um, but it's interesting, like, hearing the perspective on it, because you can read it both ways. You can read it as, like, this happened, and now we make the covenant, and there is nothing else, or you can read it from that more, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep repeating it. Um, there's there's a quote from Children of Eden that I was talking about, where he's talking about, like, let the drops fall where they may, if they finally wash away the stain from a daughter of the race of Cain. I'm not a stranger to the rape. This has happened before. I did this. Like, I'm so sorry. Um, Elliot, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I mean, the original question was like, um, do you think God made a mistake, right? Yeah. So I don't know either, to be honest. And I don't think like I have to know. But I think what is interesting to think about, right, if God loves us with overwhelming love, the fact that he made a mistake to love us more is kind of interesting to think about just a little deep dive, but like if God did make a mistake, did he make a mistake or did he, I don't know, change his mind? You know what I mean? Like it's hard to think of God in human terms, I guess, but it also is easier to think of God in human terms at the same time. So I don't know, but y'all covered a lot of it. I mean, it is a difficult question, but I think if God did make a mistake, he made a mistake in, a loving way towards us, if that makes any sense. Like it was loving, you know what I mean? The um, the other thing that kind of stuck out to me from this text and um, Elliot, you kind of touched on this is the like, the loving thing. Um, but I find it really interesting that he repeats so many times in this that like, never again will I flood the earth with water. Never again will I flood the earth with water. And so water clearly is like a really negative thing. Um, but then if you take it all the way back to, <laughs> to the first passage, um, and then also the second one, like water throughout the Bible transitions from this really negative thing to all of a sudden it is like literally what saves you. So that's like reading that and I'm almost happy that like this text got kind of pushed to the end because I feel like it ties everything up with a really nice bow of like, yeah, like we were talking about just looking at how the metaphors and the symbols change um, as the Bible progresses and through different stories and from different authors. And um, yeah, so water in this, I was like, ooh, I like that. I mean, it's it's the... I think in the Bible, it's the perfect metaphor because it's so many things, because this, this destructive force from the beginning is also the creation of the earth from the very beginning of the text. But then weaving in what we just talked about, Tess, like you said with this episode, like it also is 
the catalyst of Lent with Jesus being baptized in the water and be, the analogy of him being baptized in the water of the womb. And that's why we still do baptism. Like I, I love the hearing the water analogy. We didn't even bring up the, like Moses saves people through water. Uh, like there's so many different ins and outs and intricacies of that one analogy um, to make like this overarching, beautiful narrative of the Bible. And if we, bring it back to what Elliot was saying of like if it was a mistake he learned from it and did it through love and like I I think this is almost a if he, it was a mistake for him to use water in this way well how how else can he use water in a way that does show love so I I really liked all of the perspectives and points on that all right, with that, we, we can't end in a better way than that. We we really brought it all the way back from the beginning. Um, I loved having this conversation with you guys. Thank you so much for being on today. Um, and let us know what you guys think, because I, I like this kind of conversational last text aspect. That went really, really well. Um, so thank you guys for being on. Elliot, do you want to close us in a prayer today? For sure. Dear Lord, um, Thank you for everyone who is in the StreamYard room and anyone watching this video uh, recording. Help us all to learn something from this, take something back, maybe something that stuck with us or something that we just thought was interesting, and um, help us to go into our world and show peace. Amen. Thank you for that. And thank you guys for being here. Thank you, audience, for listening and watching at home. And with that, we will see you on the next time. Uh, go drink some water. I think that's the actual thesis statement of this episode. And with that, we're going to head out. Bye, guys. <laughs>